Hey there, and welcome to the podcast of Real Life Spokane. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We hope this podcast encourages you and points you closer to Jesus. Let's jump in. This conversation is, is today one that I'm particularly passionate about because I think that, that when we look at this, I'm going to look at a slice of history here in AD 64 through, through almost AD 70. There was a tremendous amount of pressure on the church at that period in history. And somehow Jesus' church continued through that difficult time. When, when we look at the difficulties in our life over the last several months or season or years, however you look at life, it is easy to see how delicate we have become. Fragile, maybe, not a word we like to describe ourselves with, but many of us have become fragile. We have, uh, it could be a drop of a hat and our day can be ruined. It could be a weird look from the boss, couldn't it? It could be a sideways glance from your spouse. It could be a, a weird email or a text that comes through and my day is ruined. In fact, maybe my week or my entire month is over at this point. And that fragility has really um, kind of put us on edge, many of us. We've stayed at a distance from people. Maybe we've, we've hesitated in relationship, or maybe we are um, concerned with so much. There's a, there's a pervasive kind of fear, a nagging um, anxiety in our hearts that if we're honest, like we're just waiting for the next shoe to fall. We're waiting for the next bad moment just to kind of ruin everything once and for all. That anxiety, that pressure. It just seems like it's a thought or two away. There was this dark, dark period, about a five-year window in A.D. 64 through A.D. 69. Jesus' church had just been birthed, just about 30 years before this. And we talked about it last week in Acts 8, where you see the persecution start to break out, and people are spread all over well, a lot of Jesus' church has now landed in Rome, the capital of the, the world at that point in history. Nero was the emperor, the Roman emperor at that point. A fire actually broke out in the city of Rome on June 18th, AD 64. Most of the city was burned and burning over the next several days and weeks. Places the only places, I think this is so ironic, the only places that were spared from fire were the Christian and the Jewish quarters of town. Very interesting. Now, now Nero was um, under constant suspicion. If you think of leaders and all the questions of judgment and how they make decisions, many people even thought that Nero caused the fires because he was so ambitious that he wanted to rebuild Rome the way he wanted it. To be. I don't know if anybody struggles with government suspicion around here, but these people did. And um, instead of Nero quelling those fears, he actually redirected those fears and those rumors toward Christians. He saw an opportunity. Ah, their, their part of the city didn't burn. Maybe they were the ones that caused it. How is it that they were spared? And these questions began to lead to suspicion, and suspicions then became kind of a fear and eventually a pressure. And, and, and after a while, that pressure became a persecution. You're actually doing the government a favor if you call Christians out and, and maybe report them and talk about your neighbor that way. Over the next four years before Nero was finally dethroned in AD 68, Nero built a blame, suspicion, and persecution of Christians not just of the fires, but he began to punish Christians just for being Christians. And his punishments were severe, in fact, really twisted. They went from punishment 
and persecution to actually entertainment, where he would burn Christians on poles in his garden while he was throwing parties at his house. Thinking this is a, a good thing. You know, he got everybody on board with this idea that, hey, we're celebrating. We, we, we found these, these people that burned our city, and so we're burning them on these stakes. Just think of the pressure that Jesus' church was under. The suspicion and hatred toward Christians was a government-initiated and enforced problem. You think some of these challenges over the last couple of years are new things? Mm-mm. This is, this is a part of human nature and human history. Yet, somehow, Jesus' church endured. Why wouldn't have those Christians just shrunken to the, to the background and, and, and not identified as a Christian? Why couldn't they have just like pretended like they were just a normal Roman citizen? How, how is it that they stayed strong in their identity as a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus? Why didn't they just kind of, kind of play like the, 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 the culture game and fit in? It would have been much safer to fit in, but yet they chose to remain true to their identity, even if their identity cost them their life, cost them their family, cost them everything. Why is that strength there? Jesus' church endured through this really difficult period of history. They, 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 I'm sure there was people that wrestled. There was people that bailed. I'm sure. But, but still, Jesus' church endured. I, I love the promise in Matthew 16, 18. Not even the gates of hell would be able to stop Jesus' church. And Jesus' church is only as strong as the people who are a part of it. Jesus' church is not a building or walls or a set of doctrines. It is people with Jesus as their king and the leader of their hearts. And so if we are weak, the church is weak. But if we are strong, the church is strong. And this is a conversation about us becoming a people who endure, a people who are strengthened, a people who, who last through difficulties, who don't give up, walk away, just kind of bail out because things aren't going the way we thought they would go. First Peter is written to the church in this same period of history. Such a cool thing that we have actual letters from church leaders at this point in history when everybody's running for their lives and scared to death about what's going to happen. Peter is in Jerusalem, leader of the true church in Jerusalem, writing to churches and to people all over the region where they've all been scattered and spread and run for their life. And, and so I just think about how cool it is. As Nero is, is burning Christians in his garden parties, Peter is writing to strengthen and encourage the church. First Peter 1. That's the letter that we have in front of us today. Look at First uh, Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, I want you to see something in here. He's going to talk about your inheritance. And there is, a, there is an identity locked in our inheritance that I really believe gave the church at this point in history the strength to endure. And if the enemy can get our identity shaken or, or, or non-existent, he can keep us on edge, fragile, and, and putting our hope in places that will not endure. But Peter's going, no, 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 church, you got an inheritance that will last for forever. And I'll say it to us like this today, your inheritance is your identity, real life. And that's what I want us to get our hearts wrapped around today. Look at this, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, all praise to God, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy, by God's great mercy that we have been born again. 
because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, hope, faith, anticipation. Just think of the word expectation. It's like this, something's coming, right? A birthday, some sort of celebration. You got something on the calendar. We live with this urgency and this expectation. And we, as a people, as Jesus Church, have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay in a culture that is constantly swirling, in a world that is always falling apart and decaying, you got a priceless inheritance that will outlast all of that, something that's so much more precious and strong than anything. He says, through your faith. This is why we are a community of faith, because we got to keep each other believing. we got to keep each other hoping. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus, on this inheritance that he's given us. we got to keep our faith up. Through your faith, God is protecting you as his church by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. I love this. Be, be truly glad, not, not only through your faith and lifting your eyes, but I want your heart to be filled with joy, with this excitement, with this anticipation. Be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, for a little bit, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. People who don't know who they are fall apart when their world falls apart. But people who know that they have an inheritance, they have a family lineage, they are a part of something special. Think of the word inheritance. That means your name is on it. That means that, means that you're written in the will. That means that when everything kind of comes to a close, that that reward is yours. That prize is yours. Your name is on that, that, that reward. And inheritance denotes the sense of family, that you are a part of something special, eternal. In this life, there will be troubles and trials and, and all kinds of difficulties, but he says it's just for a little while. You are an eternal being that will live forever. That soul inside you will exist forever. Whether it is experiencing the inheritance or not is really dependent on our relationship with Jesus. Have we bent our knee to him? Have we declared him as Lord, leader of our life? Have we surrendered to him or not? But the moment that you surrender to Jesus, you are given a deposit of his spirit and inside you, and that spirit declares, this child is mine. I have an inheritance for this one. Your identity is everything. And if your identity is in this life going well, you will be shaken. 
If your identity is in, in, in your spouse, you will be shaken. If your identity is in your kids, you will be shaken. If your identity is in your accomplishments, your success, your financial status, you will be shaken. And God is giving us an opportunity to be stronger than all of that. Every up and down, every circumstance, every difficulty, God has given us an opportunity to stand strong, to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kind, that we don't have to freak out, that we don't have to run away, that we don't got to move states because it's freer over there, right? We don't got to do those things. We can just be secure and confident. God, you've called me. You've declared me free. You've made me your child. You've given me an inheritance, and I don't live for this life. I live for eternity. You are an eternal being, and God has put his stamp on you as his child if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Your inheritance is your identity. Tracking with me, 10 o'clock? Okay, good. Just making sure. I, I think that this is, this is an important conversation. So every week as we're looking at church history, it's great, big concept, good. The church endured through Nero's craziness. Thank God, how? They were secure in their identity. How do you get secure in your identity? How do you have confidence in this? He says, through your faith. Through your faith, I love this, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation. The salvation, it's interesting. When you hear him talk about it, it's future tense. When we preach the good news of Jesus Christ, we talk in present tense. Right now, today can be the day of salvation. The Bible says this, that today is the day of salvation. And then Peter says, and then there's this day of salvation that is coming. So there's this tension of right now and not yet. And you and I have an opportunity to live in that tension because we are of this world, this physical body that you are born into with this spiritual soul inside of us that's living for the not yet. So you have the reality of right now that we can live the life that God made us to live, to live for in his purpose, in his kingdom right here, right now. And we have the day of salvation to look forward to. And for you and I to understand that this identity is what makes us strong. That we are not dependent on circumstances and situations and governments and difficulties and things going away and getting better. Do we hate difficulties? Yes. Do we want things to be awesome? Yes, we do. And we rejoice when they are awesome. And we don't want sickness and we don't want difficulties. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not like, yeah, it's awesome when it sucks. You know, I, it's hard. It is. It is really difficult when it's hard. But something has got to keep us strong through those difficulties. Your identity is what does that. To get that identity established in you, here's the discipline that I want to give you today. This capacity to, to declare truth to your heart, to yourself, to your mind. Declaring what is true. He says through your faith, God is protecting you. Through your faith. Faith is, is this thing that, that's action, that it's actually something that's got quantity to it. It's not just a notion or a belief or an idea. Oh, I believe in God. If you believe that God is who God says he is, then you will bend your knee to him and confess that he is Lord. This is what scripture teaches us. And so declaring truth is this confession of what we know to be true, that God is good. This is not just a preacher's job. This is your job, that, that you would go, oh, God is good in my life. He is my provider. When you're writing that tide check, you're typing in the amount, and you're like, oh, dear God, how is this going to go? God, you are faithful. You are my provider. You are in charge. You are my king. This world is not my king. You are my king. See, this is a practice of preaching to yourself, to your own heart, to your own mind, and declaring what is 
true. This is an establishing of your identity. Peter does it in this passage. Look at verse uh, three again with me. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. What is it that motivated God? What is it that brings mercy about in a person's heart, in God's heart? It's this love for you and I. I believe this with all of my heart that you are loved. You could write it this way. I am loved. Why is this so important? Because you got to get this into your soul. You can't, you can't just kind of come on a Sunday and hope that you get this little pick-me-up, but you got to actually be able to preach this to your own heart and your own mind. When you've been discarded, when people have trampled over you, when you feel like the people that should be loving you aren't loving you, when, when that spouse is letting you down again, you got to have an anchor that's more established than the circumstances that you're living in. I am loved. You are loved. Think about how much brokenness we have in our own lives. Some of you feel like you have to earn love because of the way you were brought up. Maybe you feel like you've never been loved. You need to hear something today, that God loves you. The heart of God, we know what love is because God first loved us. The Bible says that God is love. That without God, we wouldn't know what love is. And our God is motivated 100% by love. Maybe you feel like you've been a hassle, not to God. You've been forgotten. You've been minimized and looked over, not to God. You are loved. You say it with me like this, I am loved. Say it with me, I am loved. Just to say that out loud for some of us is difficult. In Romans 8, 35, Paul asks the question, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Anything? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or we are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus becomes this revelation of God's love. When he, when he went to the cross for you and I, he made a statement, you are worth it. I love you. I will die for you. I will take your punishment on myself, and I will declare you right before my Father in heaven. See, he saw you at your worst and still died for you. Even when you were the most unlovable, he still gave himself for you. See, he made a statement once and for all. I love you. I will die for you. I will take your sin upon myself, and I will declare you free, right, victorious in, in God. And so, see, your identity is everything, because if you don't feel love, you're looking for love. 
If you feel like you got to earn love, you are missing the heart of God. There was nothing you could do to earn God's love. He loved you before you ever knew him. We, we know this from scripture that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the worst of the worst, that's when he chose to die. And he saw you and knew you at those dark, dark times, and still he died. He still says, no, 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 nothing can separate you from my love. You are loved for life, whether you like it or not. You are loved. You might need to say it again this morning. I'm loved. You say it with me? I am loved. Man, that truth needs to anchor your soul because circumstances are going to come and go. People are going to do dumb stuff. They're going to say bad stuff. They're going to be mean. Man, this is a good revelation, too, of, of like where you've tried to put your identity in your marriage. You know, your spouse was never designed to meet every need that you have. They can't. They're not God. They fail. They're really good at it, aren't they? Stop elbowing them right now. There, that, that, is, that is the reality of human nature is we let each other down. To try to put your, 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 your satisfaction, your identity in your work or in your success, man, all those things are so fragile. And even in, in our great country, we love our country, but man, even to try to put our identity in these places, it is so temporary, it is so weak, it is so fragile. For you and I to see that and go, wait a second, what is something that supersedes all of that? The love of God. God's love for you has never changed and will never change. I'm loved. You are loved. You got to get good at declaring this over your heart. You need to wake up tomorrow morning. You probably need to drive out of here. And when that person cuts you off, I am loved. I don't need them. To, uh, right? You just need, you need, to, you need to have a center right here in the love of God. Nowhere else. He says, by God's great mercy, you were born again. First Peter 1, 3. Think of this, this statement. You are born again. If you're taking notes, I am loved. This is the second one. I am born again. That my old life, the thing that used to define me, all the sin, all the pain, all the stuff that I did, I said, I was, I'm forgiven. I am set free. I'm a new creation. Whoever's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I am born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, man, unless you're born of water and of the spirit, then, then you cannot be in the kingdom of God. We're talking about a birth of your soul. See, you were born into this life, but your spirit was dead. And now God, by his grace, can breathe his spirit into you and give you this new life. You can be born again by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. At this place of faith, saying, God, I trust you to be my Lord, my leader, my savior, my king. He gives you his spirit. And that spirit is the spirit that regenerates, renews your soul, and seals you for the day of salvation. You were born again. You are set free from your sin. You're no longer identified by all the things that used to control your life, all the addiction, all the pain, all the issues, all the stuff you've done and said. None of that stuff. God has forgiven you, and he's declared you new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. These are promises. Why do I got that memorized? Because this dude struggles with forgiving himself. Anybody else? We, we struggle just letting ourselves off the hook because how is it that God could forgive me? I keep struggling. I keep wrestling. I keep messing up. God is forgiving. Maybe, maybe, maybe for some of you, you, you feel like this truth is too good to be true. That is how good our God is, that he can love 
and declare you righteous beyond your craziest, wildest dreams, beyond anything that you can imagine that would separate you from him. No, he said, you're, you're mine. You're no longer a slave to that old identity. You're no longer defined by your sin. You're no longer connected to that addiction or to those mistakes. No, 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 you're a new creation. And this identity is so important for you and I to hold on to. In 1 Peter 1, 23, he says, you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. I love this. You have new life, a new life that will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. He has declared you born again. He's declared you right. When we look to that day of salvation, that day of judgment, we don't look with hesitancy and anxiety, but we look with great expectation and joy because we know what scripture teaches. If you don't, you're getting to know what scripture teaches that. And when Jesus calls you to the, to the throne of judgment on that day, yeah, he'll have every word and every deed and every sin and every good stuff and every bad stuff. But as the judge is sitting there, he's looking at you. And he's knowing where you've placed your faith and where you've established your identity. Is it in my own merit and my own righteousness? Or is it in the righteousness of Jesus who was willing to die on my behalf? And because of your faith in Jesus Christ, he will look at you and not declare you condemned, but actually declare you righteous. That he no longer sees your sin, but he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus Christ. And it is his perfection that covers you on that day of salvation. And it is his perfection that declares you right before God. It is his perfection that we stand in confidence in and go, I'm born again. I'm forgiven. I am set free. I am a new creation. I come up out of that water and I am a new person completely. This soul has been transformed by the power of God. And I, I know I still got issues and I got stuff that I'm getting rid of out of my life. But God, you have declared me free. There is a whole new person here that I am and that I am becoming. That's what makes us Jesus Church. And none of us walks in here perfect, but because of his love and his grace, we are becoming who he made us to be. It is not by your righteousness, but by the power of God inside you that you are becoming who God made you to be. This is what it means to be born again. Maybe you need to say it with me today. I am born again. Say it with me. I am born again. Man, if that's not true of you, we want that to be true of you. Here's how we simple it is that you would repent of your self-led life and you go Jesus I want you to be my king I need your salvation I can't save myself I need your salvation that moment he begins to give you his spirit and fill you with a heart and a desire to obey him that's what makes him your king is when you obey him God would you save every soul would you fill everyone with your spirit Lastly, I love what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.5. He says, through your faith, church, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. What do you hear in there? God is protecting you. I am protected. You are protected. I don't know how many of you feel like no one protects you. Or the people that were supposed to protect you never did. 
You feel alone. You feel abandoned. You feel betrayed. God declares that you are His and that He will protect you, that He will never leave you, that He will never forsake you, He will never abandon you. Even though this life may feel like trouble is surrounding you, God will protect you. He is your shield. He is your shelter. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He is your helper. Oh, those people were supposed to protect you. It was wrong what they did and what they allowed to happen, but that's not who God is. Psalm 91 says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. He alone, no one else, nowhere else, He is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for He will order His angels to protect you wherever you go. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. And I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and I will honor them. Hmm. You are protected. I am protected. I pray that God gets this identity into your soul that he gives you the courage to live from this identity and nowhere else. See, the discipline is simple. Declare this truth over your heart as you're journaling in the mornings after you're reading scripture. God, I feel abandoned, but I know that you have never abandoned me. I am protected. You gotta tell yourself the truth. Your emotions are telling you all kinds of crazy. You gotta tell yourself the truth. God loves you. I am loved. I'm born again. I am set free. I am a new creation. I am, I am transformed by God's love and his goodness in my life. I am protected. I'm healed. I, I am no longer addicted. I am free. I am a new creation. See, you got to get this in your soul. This is, this is what makes us strong and enduring as Jesus people, as his church, is that we can declare this truth to ourselves. The enemy is always trying to steal this truth from your heart. You got to get louder than the enemy in this world and in your own mind. You got to get more declarative, more filled with confidence and, and learn to declare this over your heart. That's why it's so good to get connected and be a part of a church like this where people are reminding you of God's love, reminding you of his truth, reminding you that he is your shelter. He is your protection. Oh, God is so good. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you today. Jesus, you see every heart here. You know every, every fear, every concern, every anxiety. God, you're so good. Oh, may your peace just reign. Oh, would your healing just rest in this room? 
security, strength. You are our refuge. How we run to you. You are our healer. You are our hope. How we run to you. Jesus, your church has endured. Your church will endure. The gates of hell won't stop your church, God. And as your people today, God, we just declare that our inheritance is our identity. What you've already said about us, who you've called us to be as your people, as your children, God, we just hold on to that identity today. Nothing's going to shake it, God. I pray, Jesus, just for a strength to come over your church, God. Conviction. Sense of purpose. We love you. And you're here in the room today, and you know Jesus is calling you to take your next step to be baptized. We'd love to talk to you right afterwards down here. Anything at all that you need prayer for, our team elders, leaders will be right up here. We'd love to pray with you about anything in your life at all. We love you so much, real life, and believe this with all our heart that you are loved by God. When everybody else has failed you, God has not and will not ever fail you. Have an awesome week. Come forward for prayer. Drop all that stuff in the box. Make sure you get one of these on your way out. Love you, real life. Have an awesome week. Thanks so much for joining us on the Real Life Spokane podcast. We exist to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. And you can help us do that by liking, sharing, or subscribing to this podcast. We love you so much, and we'll see you next time.